not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades and let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make uh, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that David, the patriarch, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn uh, with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted uh, at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would speak to us from your word. Uh, We ask that you would remind us again the wonderful truths of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its uh, life-changing impact and world-changing event, Lord. Uh, We just praise you for your goodness and kindness and mercy in all of these things. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, There's an old uh, tradition in the church uh, that on Resurrection Sunday, the the minister will say, uh, Christ has risen and the people will respond. uh, He has risen indeed. So we're going to we're going to start our sermon this morning simply with that. And I'll begin. He has risen. risen Amen. We're here today uh, because of the resurrection of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and I don't really have a cute story to tell you, a cute uh, introduction. And and the reason is there's just really nothing that compares uh, to the resurrection. Uh, There is nothing like this in the history uh, of humanity. Now, of course, a, a future resurrection awaits all of us who put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an event that has never happened before the resurrection of Jesus, and it never happened uh, since then. And sometimes we think in, in the ancient world, we think that it was easy for people to believe this, and we now live in a modern world with science, and, and we can do all kinds of scientific tests, and we know these things don't happen today, and, and those ancient people were just so silly, and they didn't get it to think that there was a resurrection. They understood in their day, that resurrections don't just happen. And that God had done something mighty. And that God had done something unprecedented in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are here almost 2,000 years later celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and its world-changing, life-changing impact. Uh, Just a little uh, point of trivia Uh, Jesus was most likely buried or died on uh, April the 3rd, uh, A.D. 33. We know it was a Passover 
uh, time. And so we, we look back in history and there were only two times in that season where Passover fell on a Friday and then he could have been in the grave on a Saturday and Easter uh, took place on a Sunday. Passover, of course, shifts a little bit with the phases of the moon. So sometimes it's the middle of the week, the beginning of the week. This year is one of the few years where Passover falls on a Friday. And so we believe that Jesus, if, if we get our, if, if we think we have our history dates right, he died on April the 3rd, A.D. 33, and rose again on April the 5th, A.D. 33. And we celebrate Easter this year, April 3rd. We celebrate a Good Friday. Uh, he was in the grave on the 4th, and April 5th uh, was the day we believe he was resurrected, which is today. Uh, if I have my numbers right, this kind of lineup of the days hasn't happened since 1953. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you remember it, if you were there for that. But this is a, a genu- generally a once-in-a-lifetime uh, kind of thing where these days uh, line up. And we're here to celebrate, like we do every year, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to say this morning that Christ's resurrection announces his lordship over all things. Christ's resurrection makes an announcement to each and every one of us. And that is that the Lord Jesus is a Lord. He is a king. And he desires a special relationship with each one of us. Yet he rules over all of creation, whether or not you respond. So first this morning, God the Father has resurrected his son, Jesus Christ, because he could not or he would not abandon his son. Uh, The reason God the Father resurrects Jesus Christ, one of the reasons, is because it was impossible for God the Father to abandon his son. Now we know on the cross of Christ, when Jesus is up there hanging on the cross, Jesus prays out and cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is because on the cross of Christ, God is judging Jesus for our sin. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was innocent. Jesus was holy and had done nothing wrong. We are sinful people who wander away from God in our hearts and in our lives. And the Lord Jesus takes our place. Scriptures say he became, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He was there taking our place. But God so perfectly set forth his son that even though when Jesus was on a cross, in a sense, he he turned away his favor from that precious son so he could lay down the wrath that he has for sin. God did not abandon Jesus. God did not forget about him after he died and, and was in the grave. God did not wipe his hands and say, oh, well, that is now finished. It was not possible for death to hold Jesus Christ. We need to know this this morning. Jesus Christ did not, and He could not, stay dead. Look with me, if you will, at verse 24. God raised Him up, loosening the pains of death, because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. Pains of death, you, you, get this, you get this imagery almost of these, these cords, these bonds, these snares that, that hold the body down into the grave. 
uh, when Jonah in the Old Testament is in the belly of the, the great fish and he is, he is going down into the depths of the ocean and he's sitting there in, in the, the muck and the mire inside uh, the belly or the mouth of, of this great big fish which, which must have stank to high heavens. He talks about uh, the cords of death wrapping themselves around his neck. It's a, a near-death experience for Jonah. And you can imagine being in, in pitch dark where you can't even see your hand in front of your face and just how terrifying. And so when Jonah is spit out of the belly of the whale, it's as if death himself had let Jonah go. He's suddenly in the light. But for Jesus... It wasn't a metaphor to say the cords of death were around his, his neck and they needed to be loosened. It, it had actually happened. Jesus Christ physically, bodily died. His, his body was put in the grave and, and God the Father raises him up, loosening these pains around him. Some of you have experienced the loss of a loved one and you know how painful death can be. And you know by practical experience how much of an enemy it is. Death is not God's design for creation. It's because of the curse of sin on this creation that death is like an enemy, like a hunter that stalks its prey. And Jesus Christ is raised up, let loose from that. Why? Because it is not possible for death, for Him to be held by death. Peter tells us later on in Acts chapter 3, he says in Acts 3.15 to the people when he's preaching again, he says, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. One of the reasons it was not possible for death to hold Jesus Christ is because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the one who with the Father created all things. He is the author of life. He is in control of all of life. You'll remember when Lazarus has, had died, he goes up to the tomb and they roll the stone away and the family's all worried because this, this grave is, is going to stink. That he's rotting away. And, and what does Jesus say? He cries out to Lazarus and Lazarus comes forth. A couple of weeks ago, we had the smell of a skunk that kind of wafted its way through the church. A skunk took up residence in a groundhog hole right out front, and uh, it really stank in here for a couple days, uh, for maybe a week. Uh, we were burning candles, using a whole bottle of Febreze. You, you could not get that stench out. And yet, if you put enough Febreze down, if you burn enough candles, you can overpower that smell, right? You cannot overpower death. The smell is but a, a symbol, a reminder of what is happening, that the, the body is decaying. And Jesus Christ has the power over these things because He is the Son of God. Scripture tells us that all things have been made through Him and for Him. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of the Father, that He is a, an eminence of the glory of God. And that through Him all things have been made. When Jesus is living on this earth, He shows us regularly His power over death. And then in John, He tells His disciples, 
For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one, has the pa- no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. The charge I have received from my Father. Jesus Christ was not surprised by his crucifixion. Jesus Christ was not walking through the Garden of Gethsemane one night and and Judas comes along with these soldiers and Jesus goes, Wow, I did not see this coming. It's not as if the soldiers ganged up on him and had so much more manpower that they could restrain the Son of God. In fact, in the book of John, Jesus says to them, I am. He he proclaims His name, the very divine name that that we see given to the people of God in the Old Testament. The I Am. And the guards fall back. They can't touch Him or restrain Him unless Jesus allows it. And so Jesus lays down His life with His own authority for our sins. But He takes it back up again. Death did not and cannot defeat the Lord Jesus Christ, even though in His humanity He was able to go through it for us and for our salvation. Hebrews says this, Therefore, since the children, that's that's you and I, since the children share in flesh and blood, He likewise, Jesus, partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and, the belie- and, the de- uh, the del- and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's us if we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be delivered from the fear of death. Why? Because Jesus Christ endured suffering death for us and He was raised up over death on our behalf. It could not hold Him and therefore it did not hold Him. But even more than that, God the Father did not abandon the Son. God the Father did not say, okay, Jesus, you're on your own. You've got to bring yourself back from the dead all by yourself. Rather, the Father and the Son worked together to raise Jesus from the dead. This is a reminder to us that God is one God. That even though the God that we worship is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is in His nature one. Look at verses 27 and 28. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full with gladness, full of gladness with your presence. This is a quote from Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a psalm of David and it it describes some sort of trial that David went through, probably some sort of near-death experience where where David uh, experiences something and he says he's, God hasn't abandoned him. But David was doing more than just talking about himself. And Peter tells us that. And Peter says, in effect, you know how I know David isn't talking about himself? David's body. It's in the grave over there somewhere in Jerusalem. We know where it is and it's still there. David's body had long since rotted and, and turned to dust. And so Peter says, and and he's right, he says, the Word of God in this psalm was not talking about David. 
was talking about the ultimate hope, the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Son of David. Verse 29, Peter says bluntly, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath uh, to him that he, would not set, that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did he see this corruption. You see, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is not an afterthought in the plan of God. Again, it's not God looking up and saying, Oh my goodness, they killed my son. What am I going to do now? I got it. I'm going to resurrect him. They won't see that coming. The plan and the purpose from all eternity past was that God would send his son into this earth, that he would die on the cross to save us, and that he would rise again from the dead. And throughout the Old Testament, we see hints and shadows and and prophecies and glimmers of what is to come. That Jesus Christ would die and rise again. And one of the prophecies was given to David. It was promised that in the future, David would have a son who would have a kingdom that would last forever. that That would rule and reign this king over all of creation. That king is Jesus Christ. And he exercises that kingship in dying and rising again from the dead. And in that resurrection, God, his father, who he often prayed to in his earthly life, who he had a deep relationship and a spiritual communion with, that God, who he was one with through all eternity past, that God, the father, raised his one and only son from the dead so that we might become children of God. When it says here he has not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Hades is is merely a a word in the Greek to translate the Old Testament word Sheol. Sheol is is a way of talking about the grave. Sometimes it's it's personified almost as if it's a real person. Uh, But it's, it's just a picture of the grave, that his body was laid down in, in the tomb, that he succumbed to real death. But God didn't let that body see decay. It did not start to rot. God raised it up. God wants us here today to to hear this announcement. God has an announcement for you, a, a proclamation that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, that He died on the cross for your sins, and He did not stay dead. God wants you to know this. He wants you to believe it and receive it. You see, the primary mode of all Christian teaching really is announcement. It's, it's, it's like putting it in the news, saying, God has done these things. These things have happened. Won't you respond? The word gospel means good news. It was a royal announcement in the ancient world. It, it was something that you would announce when a, when a king was born, a, a herald might go through the city and say to everyone, the king has been born, the king has been born. 
when a king was ascended onto the throne, when they when they brought him up and, and they put a crown upon him, good news would go throughout the land. So even people that were there and, and did not see it happen would know this happened. It's an announcement. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is good news to you. It is an announcement. It brings with it a call, a challenge to respond. But it is an announcement as if God wants you to, to, to be like those people in the town who, who would give celebration. Who would say, wow, praise the King is on His throne. We are to say, praise the Lord, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Praise the Lord, He sits at the right hand of the Father. Some people have the misunderstanding that Christianity is about a moralism. That Christianity is about telling you how you can fix your life. Some people think maybe that Christianity is about a preacher or a Christian standing up there and wagging their finger at others and saying, now you had better behave. Christianity, while it does give us instructions for how to live our life, Christianity is ultimately not an empty moralism. It's a proclamation. It's not a, a, a command saying, do this, you better get your life straight, you better live up to a certain standard. It is an announcement. It is a, a statement. Jesus Christ died and rose again. The call is respond to this. The call is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But it is an announcement saying you can't put your life back together. You can't have new life in and of yourself. But you can turn to the one who died and rose again. He is the king. And he responds graciously to those who seek him. God announces and shows you that He did not abandon His one and only Son, but raised Him up. It's a reminder and a promise to you that if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, God will not abandon you. Scripture says in Romans 10.11, For everyone who believes in Him, in Jesus, will not be put to shame. Jesus Christ came under the shame of death. The shame of, of dying on the Roman cross. The cross in the ancient world was not a, a cute little trinket that people wore. It was To, to talk about the cross was something that, that people in polite society did not do. It was grotesque. It was shameful. You were tortured. You hung on there naked and bloody. Christ went through that shame. But God did not abandon him to the grave. God did not leave him under the curse of death that he bore on our behalf. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and God the Father will not let you be put to shame. He will not abandon you in your trial. He will not abandon you in your struggle. And the resurrection assures that to you. Second, this morning, God the Father resurrected Jesus Christ in order to put Jesus on the throne over all of creation. 
Jesus didn't just go back up into heaven, wiping off his hands, saying, okay, I'm done. Uh, I'm just going to hang out here in the background where nobody can see me. I had a good time where I was on earth. Jesus Christ goes back up into heaven and the father says to him, he he goes back into heaven with a new resurrection body. and, And God, the father says to Jesus, sit at my right hand. Until I put all these enemies, all these people rebelling against you and against me and against my creation, until I put them all under your feet and establish your authority, your rulership over everything. You see, this too is a a fulfillment of a promise. God had promised David that David would have a son. And this son would reign forever on the throne. So look at verse 30. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. This is David who had prophesied this in Psalm uh, uh, 16. and, And he does this because God made him an oath. God made him a promise and would not let him down. Some of us have friends maybe family, maybe loved ones who have let us down in some way. Maybe someone that said to you, I'll always be there for you, and they weren't. Maybe someone made a promise, a marriage promise, and they broke it. A parent made a promise to to always care for you, and they walked out on you. People let us down, but God never does. God waited hundreds of years and He kept this promise to David that David would have a descendant, someone born of a woman who would rule over all of creation long after David was in the grave. See, God keeps every small particular thing in His Word. He does not let a a single breath of one of His his smallest promises fall to the ground broken. He keeps His Word. And He kept it to David. I was going to read some of the verses, but you can find them in 2 Samuel 7, where God says, I will establish His kingdom. I will establish Your throne forever. 1 Chronicles 17, you can find it in the Psalms, Psalm 72, Psalm 89 is a particular favorite of mine. But over and over again, God says, I've made this promise. And in Psalm 89 in particular, God says again and again, I swore this promise by my name. I took an oath. God was laying the foundation for what He was going to do for you and I for hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus Christ even came. You were so much in the mind of God that God laid in His plan from the very beginning the purpose and plan and fulfillment of your salvation. And over the years, He he revealed this to prophets at various times, in various places, to various degrees. It, it was like laying down a story. God saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what's coming. Be on the lookout for this, because when it happens, it's going to be awesome. And then in Jesus Christ, God finally, after all of those years that the people of God waited, God finally brought it to fulfillment. I can only imagine 
Simeon in the book of Luke. He was in the temple waiting because God promised him, you will see the Messiah before he dies. And by this time, Simeon was an old man. I don't know exactly how old. Perhaps in his 70s, 80s, maybe even cresting in his 90s. Waiting and waiting. And he sees the Lord Jesus Christ as that little baby. He did not live, I'm assuming anyways, he did not live to see the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he had faith that it was going to happen because God's Word had promised it. You need to ask yourself this morning, do I have faith that God actually did these things? Have I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at verses 33 and 34 at what God did. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. I didn't go into this a whole lot, but, but what's going on in the context is God's people are gathering in, in Jerusalem in the temple area and they have received the gift of the Holy Spirit and it comes upon them with amazing power. And there are all these people from all over the the Roman Empire speaking all these languages. And suddenly when the Holy Spirit comes, these people start sharing the gospel in various native tongues. It would be like if some of you here today spoke a, a, a long ancient language. And suddenly I start speaking in your own native tongue. And you hear the words of the gospel in the the language you grew up learning. And you start to go, what is going on? How did all of these people all of a sudden learn all of these languages? And Jesus, Peter then is going through the Old Testament and saying, what you're seeing is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came because God fulfilled His promises to Jesus. That Jesus now is sitting up in heaven. He has been put there as this King who won this amazing victory for each and every one of us. And He rules there from heaven and He is giving us this good gift so that you and I might know Him. That we might hear His Word and believe upon Him. It is the fulfillment of all of the plans and the purposes of God. Do you know the plan and the purpose God. God created each one of us that are here today. And when He made the earth all those years ago, He made it in a state of goodness. A state of purity without any blemish. Without any corruption. I wonder if skunks stinked before the fall. I don't know because that reeks. But I can tell you this, there was nothing wrong or bad about creation or human beings. And human beings rebelled against God. And God promised Adam and Eve that one day a Savior would come to solve what they did wrong in in that Garden of Eden. And down through the years, God's people continued to receive promises from God Abraham saying, in you all the nations will be blessed, God said to Abraham. And that was a promise of Jesus 
that everybody can be blessed through Jesus Christ, who in his humanity is from the line of Abraham, a Jewish person. Then along comes David, one of the kings of Israel. And God puts him on the throne there in Jerusalem and says, I'll give peace in the land for you. But God says, in effect, there is a greater son that you will have. He will be one of your descendants. And he will bring not only peace to the land locally, but peace to the whole earth. And just like you're a king here, David, this son of yours will be a king who reigns forever and ever. God kept all of those promises, bringing them to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So that Peter can say in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ was cursed for our sin, ground down. Everybody despised Him and hated Him. And God in His resurrection lifted Him up raised him up with a new body that could not be corrupted, that was perfect in a way that exceeds the perfection of the original creation. And then God puts him up in heaven and makes him our king and says, rule over all of this earth. He is a Lord now. He is a ruler He is Christ, which means He's the Messiah, the the promised one from the Old Testament. And all these things He has done for us so that we might respond. And that's our last point this morning. God calls everyone everywhere to acknowledge the authority and the kingship of Jesus proved to us or shown to us in the resurrection It is not enough to sit here today in the sound of my voice and say, that is really nice. I am glad we have Easter. I am glad we give the chocolates. I am glad we do the Easter egg hunt. And Pastor, you gave us a really nice story about what happened to Jesus. God wants a response from your heart. The people of God, when they heard Peter preach, they said to Peter, what in the world do we do now? Their hearts were broken. They were, they were cut to the quick, as it were, that they said, wow, this is amazing what God has done, and we tried to kill this guy. Jesus Christ went to the cross for your sin and my sin. We put Him there. He was there because of us. What do I now do? Verse 38, follow along with me. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many others' words He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. Later on in Acts chapter 3, he repeats this again. He says, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus, 
God wants you this morning to turn to Him. He is calling to you and inviting you to acknowledge and believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead and that your sins can be forgiven if you turn and repent. Jesus is a King whether or not you acknowledge it. And one of two things happens under this kingship. You either respond to the Lord Jesus Christ and you experience these blessings. You experience the promise of God. You come into communion, a a relationship with God the Father and God the Son because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You get adopted. You're, you're, You're welcome to the family of God. You get joy of the kingdom. You get this wonderful inheritance of eternal life and a a crown and a resurrection body that awaits for you. All you have to do is repent and say, Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sins. The other option is that you fail to acknowledge the kingdom and kingship of Jesus Christ. Maybe you say in your hearts, that's nice for you, Pastor. That's a good spiritual truth, but I'm going to keep living my life as I see fit. I don't really need Jesus. Things in my life are going well. Or maybe you say, things in my life are going bad. Why would I want to turn to God? But if you fail to turn to God, the promise is that all of the enemies of God are one day put under the reign of Jesus Christ. The promises in Philippians is that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the enemies of God will be defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. You have this wonderful opportunity to turn now and to be a friend of Jesus, to experience what He has done for you, to be a partaker of these promises. And yet, many people turn away, filling their lives with so many other things. There's a song that some of you might know that Frank Sinatra sings. And he sings the song and says, I did it my way. If you know later rock bands, you know Bon Jovi borrows from that song and sings a song singing, It's my life. And I'm going to live it my way. It is not your life. God in His graciousness has given it to you. Paul, when he goes before pagans, standing in Greece at the Parthenon, And he stands there and he says, God has made each and every one of you. And he has put you on this earth. And he has put you in your individual nations so that people might seek God. And we say to you today, God has put you here in America, in Pennsylvania, in York County, in this room today, so that you might seek him. 
is not your life. There is a king who is in control and in charge of every aspect of creation. And he longs for you to be a part of his kingdom. And all you have to do to enter it is repent and acknowledge his goodness and receive his salvation. Will you do that today? Have you done that today or at some point in your life? Jesus is a king. And Peter, the word of God, proclaiming it to us, says this. Know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Know today for certain. I am telling you, God's Word is telling you Jesus is a King. And He died on the cross. And He rules over everything in this creation. Everything that that looks like it's chaotic, that looks like it's falling apart. The plan and purpose of God is to put it back together and He will return and those who believe in Him will rise again from the dead and the earth will be recreated in complete newness. It will be in utter perfection and you can experience that and enjoy it. But you have to repent. You have to turn to Jesus and receive Him. Two next steps today. Two things that you can go on from here and do. And we put an insert in your bulletin. And you can take it home and walk through some of those things. But one, ask yourself this. Do I know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Have I believed in Him and received the forgiveness of sins? If you have not done that, bow your head and pray a prayer right now and say, forgive me, Lord. I want to be a part of your kingdom. Second, has this made a difference in your life? Some of us have heard this story countless times. Hundreds of times. Well, Maybe if you, you know, if you only go to church once or twice a year, maybe not a, a hundred. But, but some of us are, are really familiar. We've been to, to a whole number of Easter services, Christmas services. Maybe we go to church every Sunday. And yet it doesn't mean anything to us. It hasn't changed our lives in the way that, that a resurrection is a once-in-a-lifetime event that happened to Jesus. Do you know Jesus? The Christian life is based on the announcement of a good news. But when God gets in there, He he so changes our hearts that we respond in love. We respond in obedience. And it shines forth in our daily living. Not because we're, we're walking around and and wagging our fingers with a bunch of rules. But because those who have experienced the joy and love of Jesus Christ respond in loving others, respond in loving God, and seeking to keep His commandments out of a joy, out of a sense of 
God knows what is best for my life. And He's my Lord. And I may not do it perfectly, but I'm going to try to live my life because of what He's done for me. Where are you today in your walk with God? Do you know Him? Are you walking with Him? Is this something that has shaped your life? Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come into Your presence today. And we just want to delight ourselves in You to hear the words of Your resurrection and death for us. We thank You for this wonderful truth, Jesus, that You reign over all of Your creation. In Your precious name we pray. Amen.